I want to go 1962, and then you just see, you're back there. Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Andy. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Good Bad Show. This is a podcast where I tell Matt about one of my favorite movies. This is a podcast where Matt is cool. You didn't even listen to me. You had that just loaded up. What? That's, you, you said last episode that I was really cool. Why can't I still be cool? <laughs> That's an interesting strategy. You're just like, oh, you know what? Responding on the spot is too hard. We're just going to record a podcast now where each just, we come with things to say. They have nothing to do with other ones saying. We just say them maybe, in, uh, in, in alternating cycles. Maybe I just had a favorite intro where you said, Matt, you're really cool. I agree. Sounds great. I'm just going to stick with that from now on. Maybe that's my catchphrase. I'm Matt and I'm cool. That sure. works out for me. <laughs> that's on brand for me. Maybe you can say this is a podcast where I'm Andy and Matt is smart. And I'll be like, agreed. Matt is smart. Matt's great. Just things like that. I'm really going to pick up on these things. I'll take that note. You know, that, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I'll try that sometime. Um, yeah, I'll, just give me, give me great compliments. And uh, I will repeat them. Yeah, sure. Let me just let me just write that down here. Okay, great. And just did you write down Matt is smart? Put a right couple away. exclamation points at the end if you could. I don't think this. That my way mic picked up remember. the sound of the crumple up paper hitting the trash can, but uh, it just sounded like you were writing notes. No crumpling, hitting trash can. You probably didn't do that. You probably pinned it to your wall where it said Matt is smart. And thought, gotta. Actually, why would you need to remember that? You know that in your heart. <laughs> <coughs> Mm, I love making podcasts with you. This is a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> People love this. People love this banter up front. Yeah, this is, this is called, uh, you get attached to the characters. That's what it's all about. <laughs> our new, this my, pod, our new this pod- podcast is, is character specific. If you don't like these two stupid characters, you're really not, <clears throat> you're not having any fun, mm, I don't think. Good, bad show. Characters only. You are, you are a masochist if you do not like these two stupid characters that we keep playing. Was that a TNT slogan characters only characters only, only. Oh, characters like USA? only. USA, to, USA usa today usa today the tv show you know i get usa and tnt confused a lot they're still the channel that no one i know watches and then you meet one person you're like oh my god you're the one you're the one that watches every one of those shows that's how they stay on the air we know what you're not going to find on those tv channels matt smoking you're not going to find on either of those channels one of my favorite movies of all time matt uh-oh <laughs> Why do you sound so scared? I don't want to talk about a Star Trek movie. We're not. None of the Star Trek movies are that good. Okay, I'm gonna go on a limb here and say that. And not everything I do is about Star Trek. I like other kinds of media also. And tonight we're gonna talk about Primer. Oh, I like that movie too. That's a good movie. It's basically it's like low budget Star Trek is what you're saying, right? It's like as if if Star Trek didn't have any sort of budget for special effects uh, or characters. They're primer. Your or characters. Are... I'm sorry. Uh, can <laughs> no, I'm you kidding. please? I'm kidding. Can I'm you please kidding. tell I me like the primer. character budget for this film, uh, Mr. Director? Oh yes, our, our budget for characters is very low. We're mostly in, investing in sets and uh, and jokes. So we're gonna have to like, just give these jokes to inanimate objects. I meant like ear costumes. You know, things things that Star Trek spends money on, like pointy ears and funny forehead. Like, yeah, things to put in your forehead. Forehead <laughs> makeup. There's not a lot of forehead <laughs> makeup in the budget. That's what I meant by characters. I meant funny looking characters, alien characters. So, for those of you that are not aware, Primer is a feature-length motion picture uh, written and directed and starring Shane Carruth. It was his first main big movie he's put out. And by big, I mean it was not a, like, I don't think it ever came out in theaters. Um, I, should, I should have looked that up, I guess. But um, it's basically an independent movie uh, put up by this one guy. It's one of his first feature-length films. And it is a science fiction movie, and the movie is about these uh, dudes that live in the suburb and wear oversized button-up shirts that don't fit them properly. And they sort of accidentally end up inventing a machine that allows them to go back in time. Uh, it, it is one of those movies. It's a, it's a, it's a time movie. 
And with this machine, some things happen that I'm not going to spoil the movie about. Um, but suffice it to say, it's a sci-fi movie about time travel, which oftentimes, I, I, I will say this, I can think of no other sci-fi movie about time travel that I find even remotely acceptable. Uh, it is usually not a genre which I can even tolerate. And yet Primer is one of my favorite films. And you said you also like it, Matt. I like it a lot. I would say it's a slightly better time travel movie than Back to the Future. Uh, it's hard to compare those movies for me because I feel like a person that likes Back to the Future is not even close to an indicator of whether you're going to like Primer. It's like, Primer is the kind of movie you'll like if you like to be confused by a movie and think about it a whole lot. Primer's uh, movie you're going to love if you love flowcharts. If you're super if you, into flowcharts, you're going to love Primer. I think you might be getting causation and correlation confused here, Matt. Just because a lot of people that have watched Primer have made flowcharts about what's actually happening in the plot uh, doesn't necessarily mean that loving flowcharts means you're going to love Primer. You're, you get to make a flowchart in your head the whole movie. If you love making flowcharts in your head, you're going to have a great time. It's pretty good. So I want to talk about the things I like about this movie, and then I want to see if we can glean some kind of... Uh, heuristics some kind of lessons to maybe point us to to why this thing is undeniably good and i will argue that despite being not that popular it's not a popular movie but i would say most people have not seen nor heard of primer that you'll sort of talk to uh, i still think it is a great movie undeniably uh, so the first thing you mentioned matt is that yes no budget like the film is basically shot on like a sony handycam and there are no special effects. I want to say the budget is like $5,000. It's like some insane. I think it was a little more. Number. I want to say it was like twenty or $30,000. Let's, let's look it up now. Um, it was extremely low. Uh, so you're not going to see anything shocking on screen, right? Nothing visually is going to be exciting for you. The budget was $7,000. So you're right. Uh, I am so close to right. I'm way closer to right than you are. Man, I'm so good at this. Matt is smart. Hey, Matt, from the beginning really of the show cool. where Matt is smart? Matt is cool. Uh, so the budget was $7,000. It made half a million in the box office. So as far as I'm concerned, this seems like the most profitable movie ever by <laughs> actually, no, I bet, uh, Blair Witch Project probably blew out of the, blew out of the water. So low budget, which is not a thing that makes anything inherently good at all. Uh, in fact, I think a lot of people would argue that having a low budget means that it's just going to be less of what you wanted it to be. But I am a strong believer, Matt, that limitations breed creativity, which is one of these kind of like, fluffy things that people will like say and write on blog posts and try and sound smart about uh but i do actually think there's a nugget of truth to that um simple examples in the movie right are that they couldn't show anything happening right and they couldn't show any fancy expensive mechanics there's no animation of somebody going back in time there's no you know fancy otherworldly time machine like these things are all unattainable when your budget for the movie is less than a day woo uh, you, you need to, you know, you, you don't have any, any option to do that kind of stuff. Uh, the avoidance of all of those things, I think, is one of the reasons this is one of my favorite sci-fi, probably my favorite sci-fi movie, because one of my biggest criticisms of science fiction in general is that uh, when you're working in film, the, you have to render everything, right? Like everything on screen is going to be scrutinized by the viewer. Uh, like you have to think about what's in the background, what are these people wearing? All these details that maybe if you were writing a science fiction book or a story, you wouldn't even bother mentioning because it's not relevant. Uh, yeah. So having to like do all this world building is something that I think a lot of science fiction movies fall really short of because they're like, oh, we care about this one plot point, and then sure, I guess pay somebody to like wrap a book in aluminum foil and make a future book or like something. <laughs> like they just they do a bad job of all the set dressing and the world building because that's a huge amount of work. Um, Primer gets around this in a way that makes the the technology in the movie actually like way more believable and not like 
practically believable, right? Like the idea that some like engineers in their like spare time after work would like accidentally invent a time machine is not plausible, I don't think. I mean, even if you accept that, you know, forget time forget time travel for a second and just say that they'll invent some new kind of powerful technology that all of the researchers and, you know, uh, big engineering companies in the world have been completely missed. Um, that seems unlikely to me in the modern world. Um, but the idea that something world-changing would basically be completely, you know, uh, unceremonial, right? Like, it's like basically, uh, we'll spoil a little bit of it. The time machines they end up building in this in this uh, movie are basically like rectangles, rectangular prisms made out of PVC pipe wrapped in plastic. <laughs> like, it, it looks like <laughs> somebody's science fair project uh, gone completely wrong. Uh, it's just this completely weird thing. But something about that, like grittiness and like uh, like approachability of it, makes it seem all the more interesting. Uh, like I, I don't, I don't care about some you know, concept artist's conception of like what a time machine from space would look like. Like that's just okay, cool. You made it swoopy and it's got doors and you know a big clock on the top. Like that to me is the most boring, hackneyed stuff. The fact that these limitations, the lack of a budget, meant that that wasn't even an option. And instead, we have to figure out like the grittiest, most basic way to portray the idea we're trying to get across. Uh, that to me is very powerful. Like it, it connected with me in the movie. So. Limitations breed creativity, which is, is, is a lesson that I take out of Primer. Does that seem like something that's fair to, to draw a connection to? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think uh, I also see that as a thing I both believe to be true and also uh, sometimes I like to have a big budget on a project so I can do more stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I also want that to be um, the truth in all cases. I don't know if it's always true, but it sure is a situation where you can have movies like this come out of it where, okay. Well, we can't make the mo- we can't make the fanciest time machine in the whole world. Oh, we actually made a much more relatable story because it looks like a thing you could you could conceivably make in your garage. Um, and there's no crazy animation about how the time machine lights up and shoots a blue ray into the sky. And now all of a sudden, it's all about that one effect. Uh, we have to really focus on how this thing works and the logistics of that. Yeah, um, and obviously, like you know, as a creative person, there's something kind of poetic about efficiency right like we're going to tell the most story we're going to evoke the most emotion and the most you know unique thoughts we can with like these raw materials we have and we're going to be like very kind of you know efficient about it so um that's one thing i take out of primer is that i think that oftentimes limitations mean that you will find new ways to solve problems which will actually result in a more interesting final product um which I think we've talked a little bit on this show. I, I do want to reiterate that I don't think the circumstances around something's creation inherently make it good or bad, right? Like, ultimately, I think it doesn't really matter uh, the context. But it does. Something but you made. can say that, like, the circumstances around something's creation lead to the result, and the result can be good for that reason. Right? Sure. So, so basically, like, what, what I'm saying here really is that the portrayal of this futuristic technology, not futuristic, it, it takes place in the present, it takes place in the future. So the portrayal of this new technology, this like otherwise unknown technology in the movie as basically mundane objects from Home Depot uh, actually works really, really, really well. And then if we dig a little deeper there, I think that the idea that a big budget movie would have ever made that decision uh, or ever found that oh, these like mundane objects actually worked really well as these technologies is really unlikely. Right. Um, so if we kind of look a little bit deeper at the process, you actually realize that uh, while the fact that it was limited does not inherently make the movie good, the fact that the solution, which is just good on its own and stands independently, 
uh, happens to be budget constrained is an interesting heuristic to kind of figure out how if you yourself are making something, you can do better at it. Um, so that's one reason why I think it's great. Uh, the other thing I really like about Primer is that and it is as realistic, in my mind, a portrayal of how time travel would work as I can imagine. And I don't mean scientifically, because one of the best things about the movie is they do not, they do not explain at all how the actual science is happening, right? They don't say like, oh, we took these quarks and tied them into a big knot and threw it out of Higgs boson, and now we're time traveling. Like, they, right. they, do, they do none of that. Uh, they explain the result of it. Like, they explain what's happening, but they don't explain what's going into the building of... Besides, yeah. like, finding various parts, right? Yeah, they, they, explain, they explain, you know, the, the, the effect that time travel has and the way in which it's employed actually seems like something that's fairly plausible and interesting to think about. And at this right. point, I guess we well, should... Well, it's basically give, like, like saying, it's like saying they explain the part that affects the movie and you should care about, not the, like, the, the details that aren't even real, which is a thing that plenty of movies, whether it be time travel or sci-fi in general, seem to go to great lengths to do when you realize, like, oh, it's not even real. It's a little bit silly to spend this much time on it. Yeah, they get they get tied up in that world building thing I mentioned earlier, but uh, the wrong part of the world building. They're like, we have to explain exactly what fake science allows us to travel faster than light speed. When actually, like, no, don't do that. Just please, just fix your set dressing. Like you have a shag carpet <laughs> in the background. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, like those things, the things that actually get me. Um, so I, I will insert a. I, I don't want to talk about the whole plot, but I'll insert a little bit of a spoiler warning here. If if you do want to watch the movie, just please go watch it because. Uh, not, not having the movie spoiled is actually really important for Primer. Um, but the, the sort of practical reality of time travel in this movie is that it's not that you get in a box and you like type in a date, I want to go 1962, and then you just you're back there. Uh, because that to me has always also seemed completely preposterous. Uh, but instead, you have to be present in the space where you want to return to in the past, which is one of the most important parts about it. So basically, like you have this box and you like turn it on and you set a timer on it or something. Uh, the moment you turn it on is the moment you're going to exit the box when you time travel backwards. And then you go off, live your life, do your thing for some amount of time. And then whenever you enter the box uh, and undergo this process, you're going to come out at that moment when you basically set the, the timer. Uh, so you basically you set a little delay so that you don't like pop out immediately and see yourself. Uh, you set like a 10 minute delay or something. Um, so to me, that is plausible in a couple ways that most time travel is not. And the ways in which is plausible is that the thing that is supposedly time traveling somebody hasn't moved, which has always been something about time travel that is kind of weird and doesn't make any sense. Like matter just appears. So right. like if, if we if someone time travels, do they just like vaporize and all of a sudden appear in front of me and then say, I'm from twenty one hundred and you have the most popular podcast in the world, please come with me. You're a celebrity now. Well the fun uh, the fun uh, uh, thought experiment I've heard is um okay, so let's say you time travel and you just go to the exact same position in the past that you oh, are. Oh yeah, right you're gonna here. be in like the Earth's like what, crust or a glacier yeah, right, or something. Moves, so like now you're in the center of the earth by accident. Oh if you're dead, uh maybe everybody's time traveling all the time. We just keep showing up the Earth's crust because we haven't figured out the location part of it. So yeah, this part, at least this part answers that, that thought uh, experiment. Yeah, and I, I wish I had watched this more recently so I could remember this more exactly, but it's like coming back to me now. So basically, like, the idea that you have to build this thing, put it a place, and in the movie they put it in a storage, storage locker facility, like in a, you know, storage place, and then you have to, like, set it up, and it has to remain undisturbed for the entire amount of time which you hope to travel back to. Uh, that, to me, while having no scientific explanation of how you're actually going to travel in time, like that solves so many of the other completely unintuitive things about time travel where it's like, well, how would matter disappear in front of me? And what happens if I appear in a glacier or something uh, like that's all just solved now? Like 
you know exactly where you're going to be, and you know that that area was undisturbed. And though it's not covered in the movie, I think the idea is that if the machine was destroyed, like you wouldn't be able to enter it, so you would never be able to appear to it in the past. Like, right. like those things just it just that to me is like a beautiful way to kind of make sense of it. And then also it puts this beautiful limit on time travel, which I think also makes it a million times more conceivable that at least some point in the future we'll figure this out to some degree. Because the, the thing about time travel is, oh, if we had it, why don't we just see people popping up all the time to tell us about 9-11 before it happens or, you know, do something else? Like, if the technology ever is going to be invented, why don't we have any evidence of it now in the, you know, proverbial past? And the idea that you wouldn't be able to actually travel into the past, you'd just be able to basically reset some time in the future, right? Like, right. once you have the technology, then you can return to this moment, uh, but you don't get to, like, go back to an otherwise unforeseen or sort of uh an otherwise distant moment and like just appear there and it's also um, fun like the idea that like a power outage outage can ruin all of time travel you know what i mean it's kind of yeah has these practical parts to it as well yeah so there's that practical part and the other thing that is really interesting about it is that this construction this like and I, I get the sense that that Shane Carruth really likes, he's probably a flowchart guy. I think he really likes, you know, <laughs> figuring out these details and like kind of constructing this whole process. Um, but the other thing that's really great about it, I'm not sure if this was intentional or not, but having this method of time travel skirts all of the boring tropes and stuff about other time travel things, which are the like, why don't you just pull over in time and shoot Hitler or like whatever, like all of those things are just completely ignored because it's not possible. It's not actually how in this fiction time travel works. And the result, much like limiting yourself on a budget to make, you know, set dressings and props, the result of limiting yourself on what you could narratively do with time travel is so much more interesting. And we won't spoil anything more than that, but uh, or maybe, maybe we will, but for now, I have no plans to spoil any more than that. Don't spoil the part where they put, a box next to a tiny Austrian baby and then they go back and they shoot it and people are like why did you shoot that tiny Austrian baby why are you installing this box here please <laughs> well you never know your baby may become a horrible monster we have to have boxes installed next to all the babies <laughs> leave us undisturbed until your baby is dead and then we'll go back and take the box out and install it somewhere else um so all of these things combined uh just make the entire movie a total delight uh, they make it intellectually interesting. They make the narrative uh, scope covered by like, the, the narrative plot that happens to be very interesting. Um, Shane has a very interesting, uh, I interesting so many times. Shane has a unique, uh, I shouldn't just call him Shane either as if we're like on first name basis. The, the writer has a very unique way of writing dialogue that I think comes off much more natural. Um, it, it's almost a, uh, a kind of, uh, oh God, what's the, uh, What's that type of movie that uh, LOL by Joe, uh, what's his name is, Joe Swanberg? Joe Swanberg, what's his type of movies he makes? Mumblecore. Mumblecore, thank you. Uh, it's not quite all the way to Mumblecore, but it's definitely like people will say things like like and they'll use other kinds of like uh, weird, you know, pattern fillers. It, the, the script is written in a way that's very natural. And so the result of like this natural, how humans actually talk kind of script with these like somewhat feasible, both technically and, uh, you know, experientially. And by feasible, I mean, I'm, to be clear, I'm not making any statements about what scientifically can or cannot be done. But if you're going to have a time, a time machine, the way in which this one is implemented and the way in which it actually functions is far more believable in terms of the fact that we haven't seen evidence of other kinds of time travel. Uh, all these things kind of combine to make a very visceral movie uh, that... I think actually kind of puts you more than any other time travel movie in the place of 
what would you do if you had this actual ability, right? Like, and, and that's what these characters are faced with. They're faced with, we figured this thing out. What do we do with it now? Uh, and that question is kind of, I think, in a lot of ways, supposed to be the core question of most time travel movies. But so many lose that question in the weird... Uh, indulgent exploration of like, well, we're going to go back to Nazi Germany and we're going to go back to dinosaur ages and we're going to run from a brontosaurus or an apatosaurus. I don't want to talk about that. Um, So those are the reasons why I think it is a fantastic movie. Uh, But I expect you at this point, Matt, to say that none of those things are at all undeniable, right? Well, they're not really. I mean, I also think it's a fantastic movie, but I don't know if any one of those things can be like what, what a we can pull things out and say like, hey, the low budget made it um, a certain way. That's a thing we can learn about movies. That doesn't mean that all low budget movies are good or that making a movie with a low budget is going to make your movie better. So that's not a thing you can pull out of it. And I don't even know that it's a box to check. You love checking your boxes. It does have a great story. I do think that's a thing that's like, that's a pretty solid box. We're talking about movies. Good story. Seems like pushes it closer to good. Well, I, I, I guess we can argue about there. what is a good story or not. Also, I'm sure there are plenty of people that would disagree that it's a good story. They're very bored by it, whatever. Well, again, you're flow, good for flowchart people. Is that what we're saying? I might be a flowchart person. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something to put on the uh, poster. A nice, yeah. nice uh, testimonial. Well, flowcharts, you're going to Matt McInerney of Good Bad Show says, good for flowchart people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I'm always going to have a hard time with saying a movie is undeniably good or bad. Like here's actually here's a movie I tried to show Susie. I tried to make her watch it. I don't know. I don't know if she actually didn't like it or she was just like I don't I don't trust you with these low budget movies. This is gonna be this. Is, I'm I don't I don't believe you. And I w- watched it with her for ten minutes. She's like I'm not trusting you on this one. I'm walking away. So I don't know. Maybe she did. Maybe she didn't like it. But uh, I, it definitely is a movie that's not for everybody. Again, not that popularity so, makes it good or bad. But yeah. So th- that's why I want to keep. Is, are all of your reasons why you? You know won't... what's funny? Susie just texted me and she said I just didn't like it. <laughs> Hi, Susie. <laughs> So it sounds to me, what I'm hearing is that most of your reasons for it, not, us not being able to say this is undeniably good, are that some people might not like it or might not agree. Do you accept the or idea that something the, could be like... even the like, things that you can pull out of it don't make all movies good. Like, we can learn some stuff from it, but we can't, like, we can't be, give you the TED, t- the, the, the TED Talk style uh, speech about how if you make your movie this way, then therefore your movie will be a big hit, too. Okay, so here's my question for you, then, to push on the abstraction of this and get to something maybe we can apply to other ideas. Yeah. Do you, how do you feel about the idea that like something can be near perfectly realized for what it is, thereby making it good, but just somebody maybe is not interested in what that thing is, right? We, we've talked about this. That. We've talked about this in other ways. We always talk about this with hamburgers. We always say you can, you can make a perfect hamburger and also you can not like hamburgers. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the hamburger is bad. Or you can make a perfect loaf of bread and somebody can be a, have, someone, have celiacs and sure. you're not going to like that bread. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Uh, so to me, like primer is like, I think undeniably good. Would you agree if you, if you are interested in time travel, this is a movie that you are probably going to really dig? Yeah, I agree with that. My feeling is that for what it is, which is a time travel movie, uh, I feel like it is perfectly realized. And if I was to try and point out the reasons to partially reiterate and partially kind of dig a little deeper on why I think that is. I think it's because it avoids common tropes about something, right? It is unexpected for a time travel movie in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Uh, I think avoiding tropes about a thing, avoiding the expected result is something we can maybe pull out of, of things that are good for their type of thing. It is relatable 
the, the the sort of low budget and the fact that the technology is physically relatable, the fact that the way that time travel works is imminently more understandable or at least like acceptable uh, because it doesn't break other rules that we have known to be true. Uh, right. All these things make it actually, and the fact that these like are like normal, like the other thing about the movie is that the low budget means like you don't get a bunch of like super hot actors. Like it's just a bunch of like normal guys. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> one, one big criticism of the script is that I don't, I think there's like basically no speaking parts for women in the entire movie. Like the whole movie is basically like two dudes and then some other dudes have like some secondary roles. Um, and they're just like normal dudes. Uh, but having normal dudes in those roles, at least for a normal dude like myself, uh, tends to make it pretty relatable. So avoid common tropes, uh, make it relatable. Uh, and, and yeah, like I, we can have a whole episode about like what it means to have an interesting story. Um, but I think that comes down to like on a deeper level, just like making somebody think a new thought, uh, whether yeah. that thought is like a heady flowcharty intellectual thought or like a low level reptile brain emotional thought um, making somebody think or feel something that is new uh is kind of what i think a good story actually does so those three things are why i think you compare this to other time travel movies other sci-fi temporal distortion movies on those axes and that's why i feel like primer is just an undeniably great version of this kind of movie and if you don't like time travel movies and you don't like and you're really bothered by the aesthetics of low budget films as my good friend josh is he can't watch anything it's not you know hd 4k with you know explosions <laughs> everywhere uh which sounds like i'm citing josh i'm not he just is very attuned to that he, that like bothers him the way that mouth noises bother me hey i can um, i can relate to that to a degree like i have a hard time if i like if a, a sitcom from the 90s comes on tv i can be like i can acknowledge that oh, there are good parts are of it yeah, but there are, like, aesthetics about it that I'm like, this drives me insane, like, the way that it looks. There's a laugh track here. Like, I don't know, like, even, I, I loved Seinfeld as a kid. Watching it now can be a little bit harder, just the way, the way it is so specific. I'm like, I'm, it's like my brain is trained to not like this anymore. What happened? Yeah. I so you may have an aesthetic rejection for, for, to a low-budget movie. You may not be interested in time travel whatsoever and think it's a stupid premise. Uh, we are not going to get everybody. These are things that you, maybe you don't like hamburgers, right? Uh, but for what it is, this is an undeniably great movie. And if either any of these things are interesting to you, I highly, highly, highly recommend seeking out Primer. I think we can agree that it's a pretty dang good time travel movie, even if I have a hard time with movies being undeniably good. I will say I'm looking forward to Primer 2, Suspicious Babies. That sounds like a great idea for a movie. <laughs> it's a dystopian future where the government makes everyone invest in a time travel movie in their nursery. You have to right build where the, it right where the baby is. next to a baby just in case they grow a small mustache and you have to go back in time and stop them. Think, seriously, though, for a moment, think about That's how a great much, idea for a movie. Think about, think how, about how much better maybe. that movie Looper would have been if... It was based in some dystopian thing like that and not just people appearing out of thin air. Like, yeah. how much more interesting would that have been if, you know, it, it, picture, like, you come home with the hospital from your baby and you put it in, you put it in, the, in the cradle and then the timer goes off in that machine and you sure hope that the future police don't come out and say, sorry, this one turned into a monster. Like, that's, and then the movie starts and then what happens is uh, some parents decide that, no, this system's wrong. We're not going to let these people kill our baby. And then the movie progresses. It'd be great. I mean, be, this is a great mashup of Minority Report and Primer. Yeah, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call your buddy Shane about suspicious babies. I wish he was my buddy. That'd be great. And while we're on the topic, I'm not gonna do another episode about another Shane Carruth movie for a very long time, if ever. But uh, also watch Upstream Color. Just watch it. It's great. I haven't seen it yet, actually. Oh God, you have. I will come to Philadelphia whenever you want to watch it. It'll be amazing. All right, I'm down. Come on up. All right. 
Well, I'm glad we can agree. Primer, undeniably good for flowchart people. As close as we come to agreeing, we're agreeing. <laughs> we, we really agree on some things. You can't say it's as close as we come to agreeing, because on some things, you and I are like, scary on the mark.